What up, HyperChange? Welcome to another episode. Today we've got up and comer in the financial YouTuber space. I'm so excited to meet him and dive deeper. Uh, Zachary, young investor to you on Twitter. Uh, what's up? Welcome to HyperChange. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I, you popped up on my radar a couple weeks ago, um, and I've been seeing your content on Twitter, just awesome tweets and analysis. And you're so young, but you're putting out YouTube videos and tweets with just really good sort of financial content. And I've kind of been blown away. So I'm really curious if you could kind of fill us in on like who you are and, and how did you get to this point of kind of knowing so much at such a young age? Yeah, so I started investing around, I think it was like five or six months ago. Um, I, I, I've, I've always been very kind of into EV stocks. I mean, probably like 70% of my portfolio is in EV. You know, I really believe in that kind of sector. Um, I originally got into stock market investing as I used to be interested in other stuff like history. And some of my friends were quite interested in that. Um, and then I, um, you sometimes read stuff in history about the financial sector. And eventually I decided to, um, so here in the UK we have an app called Trading Tool 2. That's the R version of Robinhood. And I decided to sign up for that. Um, and, you know, it's been, it's been on the upwards movement ever since. Awesome. And so what, what like sparked your, your interest? Like you say history, but what really got you to be like, man, I need to open an account and start kind of putting my own money into this? Yeah, it's like, um, you know, sometimes on your phone you would get those news feed pops up and then, you know, even I before investing from a long, long time prior to any interest in investing, I mean, you know, I, you, I'd already known who Warren Buffett was, not like, didn't know much about him. All I know is, all I knew is he was some old guy who invested in the stock market. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and all he invested in is food companies. Um, but... Um, I always know some very little about the stock market, and yeah, it's really smart. So when I see when you see sometimes content, you know, history, for example, maybe about you know when, for example, when the Spanish Armada or something comes and invades England, you know, your stock market obviously tanks on that news, and when and when you get the um, Rothschild sending fake messages to London Stock Exchange, you know, saying that. Um, the uh, Spanish are marching onto London so they can buy up the shares really cheap. And then it obviously bounced back once they realised that wasn't happening. Um, so yeah, you know, stuff, reading stuff like that. Um, and that, that really sparked my interest in investing. Wow, dude, I love, that was like the first pump and up. That's some amazing market history, know, you know, right there. Yeah. I, <laughs> uh, so can you tell us about like, you know, maybe what's your favorite or, or largest position right now um, in your portfolio and, and like, tell us why? Yeah, so my large position right now is the company's whose shirt you're wearing, Arkimoto. Oh, no way. Awesome. Yeah, biggest <laughs> position in the portfolio right now. Um, I'm initially invested in the stock because I've only been, I only found about, about a, like a month ago or something. So I got on the initial cost basis of 591. I brought, you know, lo loads of shares. I think I had that one point up like 40% of my portfolio in it because I just felt, you know, Arkimoto was the thing. It's, you know, high risk, but it's, um, you know, I believed in the management, I believed in what they were doing. Um, so then we had obviously that massive run up, you know, 69% in, in a day of yeah. the biggest gain ever on the stock market. I made over, so like, I've got about 800 pounds in the stock market at the moment. I think it's like a grand where you live. And on that day, I made something like $120 from one stock in one day. I was like, wow. whoa, and I'm blown away by this. I was thinking, ah, this is, this is amazing. Um, <laughs> I did sell half of my stock when we were at like 18. I just thought, you know, when you're up 100% a week, you know, come down. We've, I think I've been buying up recently more shares at 11 around that area. I've been buying some more. And so when you talk about these prices, like are what kind of research are you doing to buy the stock? Are you looking at the financials? Are you just looking at the product? Or what, what's your kind of thought process with how you buy and sell? Yeah, so I'm not the kind of person who really studies financials. You know, I mean, obviously, I, I you know, I, I look to see what a company's valuation is. I mean, I got on that that company called Arrival, which was going to be merging with um, a SPAC, I think it's a CIG. I got on that 11 bucks and I sold it at like 28 um, within the space of four days. That was, that was yeah, four days. It's, um, I got on it to initially, we had rumors of a merger. There was no confirmation. I jumped on that at 11. I brought like a few, a few shares in it and I thought, is I'd actually watched a video of their delivery van a while back, and I thought, if, it, if it's true, you know, maximum I lose is like a buck on, a buck on each share, so that was only going to be like four dollars. So I did buy the stock at eleven. The next day I was really looking. The next day they announced the confirmation of it. The stock went up to like sixteen, and it's just carrying on going up. You know, 
Jim Trammell was pumping it up the other day. I saw the bit too early on it, but when I we got to the situation where when you, because only 4% of the company's going to go public, when you look at how many shares are in existence and then, you know, in the stock market, and then look at the valuation of the company and the same valuation for like 30, 30, 37 billion dollars, when you're only looking to make 14 billion in 2025, I, I just saw that, I thought, you know, the, the run's been great, but it's like, I'll buy back if it goes lower, but I thought the valuation was too high. And for stocks in general, which I look at, um, you know, I do look at the financials a bit, but mainly I'm looking for something which is high growth, maybe something a bit unusual like Alcamoto, you know, kind of an unusual kind of freewheel vehicle company. I think the first one I'd heard of was their Solo, but that looks like the back of it's just been chopped off by a knife. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there was a picture on Facebook the other day that was a Solo versus a normal SUV. The Solo was like four metres down from the from a normal SUV. It looks really bad alongside it. And I thought, yeah, that, that, that's, a, you know, I think it's only like a one-seater. You know, then I saw I can it's a lot more, the design's a lot more better for kind of a three-wheel vehicle, a lot more open, a lot more well-designed, and, you know, I brought the stock. Um, I did, it's funny because I'm, I do, I have some other EV companies, but my biggest non-EV company bet at the moment is a plant-based food company, Tattoo Chef. I did initially look at Beyond the Meat. I, I, I persuaded my dad to buy a burger once. <laughs> I had to take the risk of eating it if it went wrong and it tasted really bad. And so I made him buy it for himself. And it was there, uh, all it tasted was a corn. And I just thought, uh, but, um, I just thought you're, the thing is beyond the is kind of advertising itself as a you know meat alternative and it really didn't taste anything like meat at all. So I brought Tattoo Chef which doesn't claim to be meat you know, it's more so usually when you go to the store and you pick something up it's really unhealthy. They aim to make more vegetarian kind of meals like that pick up something in the microwave and you get home. I mean, they're, they're growing at like 30-40% a year so I just thought you know win-win the stock's down loads from its highs and um, we did, we just recently went to the stock market. I mean, we've got in the next few days invest um, analyst day coming up. So I'm hoping for some nice, nice price targets on that for them, hopefully, and then bounce back. I, I'm down with it, but when you look at that, I think in a year that could be, you know, double my money in a year because it's so under the radar. Once the analysts pick up on it, we've got like one analyst so far. But once the analysts pick up on stock like that, it gets you a lot of media attention, PR attention, draws a lot more investors to the stock. I just thought that, you know, it's going to be a win-win. Really cool. And how did you find that company? I'm, I'm like so impressed. I'm like, you know, I the Beyond Meat Burger, I tried it and it was like, ugh, it just wasn't good. Yeah. I, I'm a huge fan of the Impossible Burger though. Like I think that they're still private, but their burger or like their, you know, plant-based one is so much better. I thought, have you tried that one? Um, no, they, I don't think they're in the UK at the moment, um, Impossible Foods, but if I, if I ever hear a rumour that they're going to go public for, I don't know, a SPAC or something, there's something which you can buy into before it's, you know, all the institutions buying, like you see the Snowflake, DoorDash, Airbnb, I, I would just scoop up shares. And I think their, their food seems to be a lot more, I think it's a lot more well-backed, it's a lot more, you know, a taste, I think yeah, from what I saw online, it was like, it tasted a lot better than the Beyond the Meat one. But I mean, even Beyond Meat's valuation, is I, I, I'm not a big, I don't really judge companies on valuations because then you can say, Tesla's got the most ridiculous valuation in the world. You know, how long is it going to take for Tesla to catch up with that valuation? You know, and you look at, you know, Robert says, so I think for Tesla, it's going to be Robert taxis, which make or break it with the valuation. But I think with Beyond the Meat, the valuation was ridiculous. They say they're going to be growing at a certain amount percentage a year, but one thing which always, which always stays with me with Beyond Meat is um, in the biggest supermarket here in the UK, Tesco's, a two Beyond the Meat burgers would cost you five pounds or four pounds or meat ones would cost you four pounds you know what what one are you going to choose if you if you're if you're looking to maybe try out beyond meat and maybe want to go vegetarian honestly don't think you're gonna and you know if you're not if you're not earning like nosy or whatever i don't think you're going to be looking at a beyond the meat burger which has got two burgers and then a normal meat one which has like four so i just thought you know i, I, I just don't believe in beyond meat i'm sure in the long term it's going to go up like most stocks no good ones, but it's just not the stuff I feel comfortable buying into. So I felt more inclined to buy tattoo shirt. Gotcha. And how do you, these trends that you're investing in, like, you know, the disrupting the meat industry, electric vehicles, these are really like, I'm really aligned with those trends, huge opportunities, totally disrupting industries. 
you know, is that part of your thesis? Because it seems like you're coming at it with that lens of like, you know, what's the next 50 years look like? And, and that's kind of how you look at all your companies. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I, at the very start, you sit here, I don't know, it seems like more like dividend investors have like, value investors have like 10% of the market in their hands. I don't know, you seem to have all the famous investors who are dividend investors, like really well-known ones like Warren Buffett. So I started off with that. When I, when I spent £30 on AT&T stuff and got 60p, I was thinking, oh, this, is, this isn't entertaining enough for me. There's not enough movement in this stock. All, all AT&T does is go from 30 to 28, 29, 30. <laughs> yeah. That's pattern. So I'm not really in the mood to day trade the stock. Um, so I just decided I'd rather do, you know, I had my ups and downs with originally getting into it, but then, you know, I discovered a lot more EV kind of stuff started buying into EV. And, you know, it's been great ever since then. And what's the status of uh, EVs in, in England? Are you seeing a lot of Teslas on the road? No, so I'd say where I live, we're, we're not, you know, we're not like places like London or something where there's like loads of businesses, you know, really at try to say there's only a few Teslas in the UK. Um, my dad's friend, he, he runs a like recruitment business. He's got a Tesla. I've been in it. And I, as soon as I saw that Tesla, I was like, oh, this, this thing's good. This is going to be successful, you know. He's, you know, the whole, the whole design, you know, of the Tesla's so much more, you know, technology advanced. I mean, you've seen like, I think Volkswagen back in, 2015, they had a CEO who said we were going to be going fully electric in two years. Everything we make is going to be electric. Unfortunately, the CEO didn't realise that their third largest shareholder in Volkswagen was a Saudi Arabian oil tycoon. So obviously, uh, he got fired soon enough for that for that <laughs> decision. They decided to continue with their their normal gas ones because I think that was their main supply was the Saudi Arabians oil business. So you know, I you know when you the other day there was something on these like GM's gonna spend 88 billion dollars to beat Tesla. And I'm thinking, what they're just gonna spend 88 billion? Big number. But what you is that all you're gonna spend to beat Tesla? You're gonna spend 88 billion dollars and you th you think you're gonna beat Tesla with that. The thing is, it's really hard for new startups to break into the market, but Tesla's already broken into the market. I mean, Tesla's like a universally recognized name. Ask somebody who the CEO of Volkswagen is, no one's got a, a no clue, I don't have a clue. But ask somebody, ask someone, ask somebody who's the CEO of Tesla. Everyone knows that, you know. Um, you know, I mean, everyone at school, everyone at my school knows who Elon Musk is. You know, everyone knows what Tesla is. It's more, I think, as long as Tesla break through that battery barrier, really getting those long miles, um, you know, really long without charge. Um, because I think it's interesting because my friends were talking about Tesla the other day. They were like into cars. And so that's some really expensive car driver at school. They're like, oh yeah, but the thing with I said, oh, do you guys like Tesla? Because I was thinking, oh, I'll just ask them. They went, yeah, but apparently they take after two minutes. You need to recharge them. <laughs> I was thinking that's a bit of a myth, but I think as long as you get the you know timing out, you need to do batteries. Um, up, I think Tesla, maybe not in the five years, it's not going to be the best performing EV stock out of them all. You know, we got a lot priced in, but. I think over the, so one main stock I compared the um, Tesla to, my second biggest electric vehicle holding, which is um, Neo. Um, I, I, I don't, I thing with Neo is I like Neo, but you know, not the China kind of stuff, but you've got the, lots there's been a fear of delisting with the stock at the moment. But I think Neo, unlike Xping or Li Auto, they've prepared for this. That's why you've got Neo China and Neo Inc. Neo Inc's on the stock exchange. They control Neo China, but when you do it, you're not directly investing in the entity Neo China. So, that's, so they've, I, they've been preparing for this Chinese law for a long time. I mean, worst case scenario, they get delisted. They've got a two-year, three-year window to stay on the stock exchange for a situation with that. Because you know, the thing with Neo is you've got the situation. If they were going to lie about their financials, I would think their financials are a lot more financials be a lot more impressive than they are at the moment. Maybe instead of 5,000, you'd be saying 8,000, you know, 10,000, where that might be. But then instead, you're seeing the kind of growth from Neo, which you'd expect. I think the thing which got me into Neo was that I think the Neo, I mean, you've been to a Neo, you know, a place in Be Beijing or Shanghai, whether you went, you know, last year, I think. Yeah, it was. Shanghai. Yeah, it was cool. They didn't let I me mean, drive it, but I was very impressed okay. in the car. It looked very fancy. And yeah, they were cool. There were a bunch of them driving around Shanghai, too. There's this YouTube channel for something like the Chinese teacher or something like that. I think they're like Netherlands, but they're but they speak English. 
and they were a woman and I thought one is actually own a Chinese car. I think they're a teacher or something they're in hmm. China. You know, they had this massive tour of the car. I'm blown away. You have, you know, I think you you haven't got as good autonomous driving, maybe not as good as a tech with Tesla, but I think the kind of design and the more comfiness of the Neo might be in a sense a bit more superior to what the Tesla is. I mean inside it, you know, you've got back massages for every single seat around. Yeah. Around I was gonna it. say the massager, that's pretty epic. And Nomi, have you seen the Nomi oh, thing that pops that up? It's kind of cool. I know. That is that is really advanced, and you've got battery stuff as well. Um, but uh, what I all love about the whole thing, it's really it really is made made to last. And, you know, it's a really nice little car. I mean, the queen seat, which is where the main passenger is sit, opposite the driver, that seat can go back completely all the way in the hip, the back seat there. That's got a full recliner, so the whole seat can recline while you're driving and start back massaging and everything. Truly, like um, an I executive, think, huh? Like you're just I like... know. Well, yeah. <laughs> The difference is it goes down like an aeroplane seat, so you're getting, so you, you get taken down. And I think with all that, it's just amazing. You know, you've got amazing customer service for Neo. And then you've got access to Neo House um, and all that kind of stuff. So then you've got not only a car, but there's a video of somebody who said, yeah, a Chinese driver, the Australian news network asked why he brought them. Is he just signing a paper? And he went, I brought it because I like the car, but he wants to meet people as well. He thought buying a Neo would be a way to connect with people. I always find that really interesting how, and like in China, um, from what I gather from some YouTubers and stuff who live in China, it's quite a strong sense of community, you know, in China. And then you've got um, Tesla, I think a Tesla car really does lack, you know, community. And that's it. You haven't got a whole group of Tesla drivers driving around China and together in the a kind of a road tour kind of thing, but when you're a Neo car and you kind of know who all the other car owners that are, you meet them, you know, at Neo House and that kind of area. Interesting. And I, I want to dive deep on something you said about Tesla, which is really profound, that they're priced in uh, some of this robo-taxi thing. And I, I think that's totally, you know, we're seeing Tesla like break every valuation norm for a car company. They're an energy company too. But this whole idea of the robo-taxi and self-driving car is like, you know, that seems like everything. So I'm curious, what what are your thoughts on that Tesla's strategy versus the other competitors in that space? Yeah, so I don't think obviously Tesla's are like five years ahead, you know, in autonomous driving. I think robo taxis are kind of thing for them. If you can automize like all the taxis in like the Western world, you are going to make the price for the taxi for the consumer a lot cheaper. And obviously, the Tesla you're going to get a lot more because you're going to have all the kind of autonomous tech in that taxi. I think. Robotaxi is the kind of thing for Tesla, which I think the share price is most expected, you know, get a lot of profit with the robotaxis. I mean, you know, Kathy Wood saying she paid a hundred bucks the other day to go to the airport in a robotaxi that costs her 15. I think robotaxi is the kind of thing which you're even going to get a hundred million or like, you know, 500 billion, you know, it's either going to be extremely high amount of money or not. And if, if I think if it's not in those, then I think Tesla's up to suffer. Interesting. And another thing I wanted to ask you about, Bitcoin. You're a Bitcoin. I saw a tweet that you're kind of bullish on Bitcoin. Do you own any? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I'm still trying to look into um, Coinbase at the moment and buying Bitcoin. I mean, the thing with Bitcoin, I, I don't really know what Bitcoin is, you know, but recently I've done more, more research because before, you know, Bitcoin's kind of seen it, I don't know, it's kind of a mysterious kind of thing which you don't really know know much about it is the kind of thing which you're like, oh, boy, you know, I heard it's a really dodgy kind of thing. When you look more into Bitcoin, you see over the last decade, it's up 100% year over year. Um, unlike, yeah, unlike something like, um, so every year the Federal Reserve can print more and more money. There's actually a cliff online, there's some, you know, one of the people in the Federal Reserve saying, we can print an infinite amount of money. We print as much as the government tells us to print. That's the kind of thing. When you sign up for every dollar you have sitting in the bank right now, you're losing 92 cents a year from every dollar. So um, with Bitcoin, you've got limited 21 million Bitcoins in existence. You know, probably a lot of them are lost because people forgot their Bitcoin passwords. There's a story online the other day of a guy, and there's a story from some network, and it's like, oh, this guy, this guy's a multi-millionaire, but he forgot his Bitcoin password. <laughs> he's working at Domino's Pizza, and he's got 10 million in Bitcoin, and he lost forgot his password like ages ago. So now he works at Dolly's Pizza. <laughs> so I think, you know, with Bitcoin, he's got such a limited supply, I think, 
you've got something like seven, eight billion people who live on this world, 21 million bitcoins. Um, it's a lot more, a lot better than gold. You've got, it's a way, you know, it's not a massive block of you know, gold that you've got to carry around, fit in your house if you want to own gold directly. Bitcoin's a lot more massive to the market. I think the one thing which falls Bitcoin back for me from being, you know, a proper currency is just the amount of, um, you know, fluctuations you get in the price. I mean, you're buying something US dollar, you wouldn't expect that kind of fluctuations, but I think eventually as the Fed, you know, governments around the world, they start to kind of recognise Bitcoin a bit more. Because more and more popular, I don't think that would be the case. It'll be more universally recognised as kind of a kind of a global currency. Yeah, and it seems like the volatility is compressing over time. Like as yeah. it's matured as an asset, the the band of volatility is slowly shrinking, so it will eventually become more stable. That's what I hope. But it's also a lot of upwards volatility because if the price has to keep going up a lot, unlike the dollar, you have forced upwards volatility, which you know isn't Bitcoin's fault. Um, and the other thing I'm curious about Bitcoin is like this whole cash app, I don't know how big that is in the UK, but like Jack Dorsey being so into Bitcoin and him pushing it on cash app to me is like, that's such an interesting part of how this whole thing's happening. Because if we could all buy it with two clicks on cash app, that's going to make it so accessible. Um, I think that's one of the most exciting things happening for Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean, with Bitcoin, I think last time we had the, you know, massive upwards trend this back in like 2015, 16, whenever this was, we were getting a lot more talk of a bubble you know, the Bitcoin bubble, people calling it. Turns out it might have been a bubble and it crashed. But, you know, maybe that was a bubble back then. But I don't think we're seeing lots of bubble talk this time. People, I think people are kind of more acknowledging Bitcoin. I mean, no, I think, you know, um, you know, Pomp, you know, I don't know if you know, you know, he runs the Pomp podcast. I mean, yeah, I had him on Hyperchange. Yeah, he got me a load of followers and, you know, we were talking about Bitcoin. I went on his podcast, and, you know, like he's got some like 50% of his, net worth in Bitcoin, which might be a bit crazy, but you know, he's made good money out of it. Even though I've got to say 50% might be a bit too far, but you know, he's made good good money out of it. So, you know, big believer in it. I watched something like from a year back is um, Kevin O'Leary and him were on CNBC. Kevin O'Leary was saying, oh, last year I brought, this is actually CNBC, and he said, last year when I was teaching a class at Harvard, I brought, my students like, oh, I'll buy some of this Bitcoin and stuff. So I put $100 into all this crypto. Um, I won't say the exact word, but you know, he said like for he said basically like I got hundred dollars and said you know it's like Bitcoin stuff or whatever he said. And he said and now and now this is how much you know my my crap's worth now. It's worth sixty bucks. And then pop, and then you know you see Pomp saying, yeah, but you put it into all the other cryptos, didn't you? You didn't just put it into Bitcoin it, itself. And then, you know, obviously the interviewer was like, when is it going to go up, Pomp? When is it? When when is it going to pop the bubble? And and Pomp's like, well, I'm not going to say when it's going to go up and what exact price movement is. I think over time it's going to double. Four months later, it doubled from that. So I think, I mean, you've got so many more. I mean, you've got um, um, Michael Saylor from my, uh, MicroStrategy. He invested almost all his cash in Bitcoin. And I, but I don't understand why people like CNBC, they act like they don't understand Bitcoin. I mean, I've seen the interview. I can't remember what name it was. But she's like, MicroStrategy, a Bitcoin ETF. Or not a Bitcoin ETF, because it's going to come a point when you want a Bitcoin ETF. She asks the exact same questions three times. The problem Michael Saylor is like, well, well when, when, look, we, we've got a cash in Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin, more money we've got in the bank, we're losing money. She's like, we've really got to take some of that money out of Bitcoin, you know, for just pure management reasons. And then I think Michael Saylor says, yeah, and it's like, and I, I, I was just watching, I think, and you've, that, that, that woman seemed to be like in loads of, She's into loads of people like Bitcoin. She's that like she's clueless, doesn't know anything about the currency. I think more and more, uh, eventually, I think you're going to have the point when it's actually risky for businesses not to own Bitcoin. You know, um, not having it as like five percent cash reserves. I mean, we saw Square put four percent of their assets into that. Currently, going up hundred percent every year. I think a lot more. You know, maybe going into when we get a lot more um, Bitcoin. You know, the new Bitcoin people coming in. I think you could see something like, you know, Bitcoin with a square that might be now worth like 8% in like six years or seven years of, you know, that initial investment. I think it kind of shows that square don't really want to go all hands in Bitcoin. Like, you know, they're, they're doing kind of a move by putting 1% in and showing, you know, in general, the bullish on Bitcoin. I think one of my plays I'm looking at getting at the moment, which is probably my only large cap stock is PayPal. You know, CEO of PayPal owns loads of Bitcoin. PayPal are adding some, um, adding Bitcoin to the platform next year, and I think 
with PayPal in particular, and in Bitcoin and all, you get the other cryptos on PayPal, you've got all the financial, everything financially on PayPal as a, as a program. We're at like 100% this year on PayPal. When you look forward in like five years, you've got all, mainly all the cryptos on PayPal, all your money transfer power on PayPal, they transfer money to each other. Um, if you've got an option, most people um, to pay by PayPal for an online service, you pay by PayPal. Um, so I think having it all under uh, one roof under PayPal might, you know, make PayPal really one of the biggest companies in the world. We're already really big, but maybe seeing it something like what Facebook's valuation is now, because then you get to the point where, you know, we've got PayPal is now the everything of financial, everything financially with all your money under one roof. I I love your thesis, but I'm of the theory that Cash App will be that platform. Because like Cash Apps right now, they have Bitcoin. You can send money to your friends. It's kind of like an app, but a PayPal. Not much, what? Wait, didn't Cash App release merch? I saw something the other day. Yeah, they did release merch. But like their the amount, like Cash App was like 2016 with no one. Now they have 33 million people. They have stocks, Bitcoin, peer-to-peer uh, -peer transfer. And then you have like Jack Dorsey, this guy who's running the company, who's just smart and cares. I, the, I don't know too much about the PayPal CEO, but PayPal like started by Elon Musk and you know Peter Thiel gets sold, IPO'd, gets bought, gets re-IPO'd. Like it's just gone through so much that when you use PayPal, I feel like I'm using software from like 1990 and I feel like they're kind of behind on Bitcoin. So I see your vision of like, you know, that platform that's a digital bank that moves money everywhere. But I'm like, I just think PayPal is going to move too slow. Cash App's going to move faster and they'll surpass them. But I, I love your where your thesis is at with that. And I didn't realize, yeah. Is cash, you know. is cash up on the stock exchange? Because I don't think they are. I think there's talk that when the bill. Um, they are, kind of. They're owned, they're owned by Square. So Square oh, is only worth no, half of Bitcoin or half of PayPal, I think, or less or something market cap wise. But they also own all of Cash App. And I think Cash App justifies a doubling of Square's entire market. Like, you know, yeah. I made a couple of videos. I'm so, because Cash App, they're making such little money per user for what they will. And they have 33 million users. It's all about expanding users. And so Cash App is in this land and expand mode. And then they're just going to start monetizing average revenue per user. It's going to start increasing. So I don't know. That's I, But I'm also like PayPal, Cash App. These are the company, Bitcoin. These are the things that win. It's like Bank of America. You know, Stripe is also a winner. All these other legacy ones that are losing. Like, I think there's yeah. going to be a few big digital payment I'm winners. In like the auto industry, sometimes they're the legacy areas. Oh, about Square. Have you heard of PaySafe? They're going public. No, I, I didn't hear about it until I saw your tweet yesterday about like no, a comp of, of Square and PaySafe, yeah. right? That was really interesting. Yeah, I'll, I'll just, yeah, so I retweeted it and I'll, I'll just share what PaySafe is. So Fortnite, Twitch, all the major kind of gaming platforms, they all use PaySafe to, to transact, you know, revenue. Um, it's all used from PaySafe. I mean, I'll just read you something I found you know, the other day. So we look at 2015, um, Square was worth around 4.5 billion. Um, they had a stock price of 12.30. PaySafe started at 9 billion, stock price of 12.70. Transaction volume on Square in 2015 was 36 billion. They had a revenue of 1.27 billion. Transaction volume on PaySafe is $98 billion. Square's something like 100, 103, 105 billion dollars. So in a sense, you know, they're already similar to that in that. Um, then you've got the EBITDA margin, you know, and now um, PaySafe's got an EBITDA margin of 30%. They have a 2020, 2020 EBITDA of like 390 million. 2015, Square had one of minus 11%, 1.7%, and now um, they lost 100, $147 million. So I think, you know, gaming in itself is a really growing industry. I think it's all going online. I mean, you've got the Roblox IPO coming up so. I think, you know, that's one of the best IPOs coming up. Yeah, I wanted to actually, that was on my list of, Ro I'm curious what you think of Roblox too. Yeah, so I think kind of pay safe, you know, it's got all these massive gaming platforms, it's running, it's transaction and transacting on um, that platform. So I think that could be really kind of a big thing going forward. I, at the moment, I also think about investing in Square. I think I'm going to see what happens with pay safe at the moment, see what we're like in a year. Maybe when I get a bit more spare cash from something, then I might put that into Square, but I think, well, pay safe, you got it's like a company value at like nine billion dollars. You've got 98 billion dollars today, and you've got for the whole year of transaction revenue is what Square worth like 100, 310, something like that, of whatever billion dollar that is. You've got pay safe, kind of a similar area to that, you know, maybe less globally, you know, well known on the stock market, but I think it's kind of a 
Philly square in the making. I love, I love this pitch. And especially what you're saying about the end market being gaming. Like to me, that's a huge sector that I want exposure to is people streaming on Twitch, people fortniting, like whatever, you know? And so if they're, if they're, technology is enabling that and they're tying onto the growth of those that seems like really exciting they're like there's something online they were like oh the only reason i'll ever buy pace if you know they're trying to start pace listing they do all of it some youtuber well the youtuber didn't know is everything they listed pace safe are actually the company for that it's twitch it's fortnite it's all the major gamers they all use pace then you get more and more people spending money on that kind of stuff i mean you've got some crazy tech ipos recently you know the market's been drained of tech ipos because of this coronavirus pandemic, and you've got them all coming back. You see, Square, um, I mean, Rothgub, I think he was on, you know, um, you know, TD Ameritrade or whatever, whatever it's like. So, um, look, DoorDash on public and evaluation right now is 70 billion. Chick fil A, Dunkin' Donuts, you know, some other major one. That's the same amount as DoorDash combined. DoorDash is never going to make money. You're in the one of the worst industries to be in, which is food delivery. Always got so many competitors all the time. Get rid of one, there's a new one. Um, you know, I mean, Uber Eats, that's never really going to make money. That's just something, you know, Uber boosts their revenue by a lot. But I think that kind of sector, you've had so many tech IPOs going up recently, but I think investors aren't really prepared for when we get out this below. They're going to have a lot more tech IPOs going back onto the stock market. And maybe those stocks are going to go down as they become less, less, there's kind of less hot companies, there's more hot companies on the stock market rather than just, you know, very few. I mean, I think Roblox, seeing who's going to ask me about Roblox, um, just ask that question now. Yeah, the, yeah, Roblox, I'm really curious about, like, uh, I, I know they had, like, a cyber truck in the game, and people were telling yeah. me about that Easter egg, and, like, I don't really know anything about Roblox, but it's, like, kind of like a world that you can build in code, Minecraft-esque, but it seems to be gaining huge traction, and kids love it, and so, and they're making a ton of money, um, so I don't know, I'm really curious uh, to hear, like, what your take is. Yes, yeah, so Roblox, my, um, I was at my friend's house one time and my friend's friend was there and, you know, they were like obsessed with Roblox, they're like the biggest Roblox fan ever. And that's like, I'm not really into the kind of Roblox, that kind of stuff, I'm more kind of a Minecraft type of stuff, but look at Roblox, it's more for little kids, but you've got, it's one of the most best, you know, gaming itself is such a good business to be in. High margin. I think the Roblox coins are ridiculous to buy a Roblox coin. You know, to buy coins for your thing, but people buy it. That puts their revenue up by a load, and you know, it's something maybe which will get as much much hype as something like um, you know, Snowflake and stuff like that, because maybe more people don't understand it. But then, I mean, you're up loads this year of like revenue or whatever. But you, the whole business is such a profitable business to be in. It's going to be carrying on growing and growing and growing. I think a lot of these games they go in, they go out of favor. They they have this massive hype boom. They go out. Roblox haven't had that. They've been like, they've always been kind of in there. I mean, one of the hottest new games which I which I actually love is Among Us. That's like kind of a multiplayer group game. And before that, there was for this one week there was this thing called Fall Guys that was really popular, but because it wasn't really that interactive and stuff, people fell away from Fall Guys after one week. And Among Us came in. And Among Us, you see it now, where they you know they have massive peaks. They go down, but not by lows, and it stays very steady. They release a brand new map for people to play on. It goes right back up to those peaks. that start setting out uh, maybe a bit of a higher level. You know, it keeps going up. So I think there's certain games which are always going to be popularity like Minecraft and stuff. But I think having something like Roblox and stock markets on the very, very pure um, gameplays. I mean, Amazon and Twitch, so you can't really buy Amazon as a hope on Twitch because they didn't even say how much Twitch earns because it's only such a small part of the business for Amazon. I think something like um, you know Roblox, high high profits, you know being being in really in favour for a long time. I think that could be you know, a massive kind of tech IPO. And I heard this new saying recently of gaming is the new social. Like when I got home from like high school or middle school, or whatever, it was like AOL chat. Then now I'm on Facebook in high school, but like you go on and just chat with your friends, right? And so now it feels like people that isn't a social network it's it's games where kids are going home after school to communicate and that to me is such a big like kind of movement that's a, that's happening yeah so i'll tell you a bit more about that so now you don't see as many people on facebook anymore people have facebook accounts but they're not very active on that you go home for a lot of people you go home 
you go on your Xbox or you know whatever, and you go and you talk to your friends on Xbox and play your favorite games with your friends. That's really how it works at the moment for social life. Now you go home, meet up with your friends, maybe at, you know once a week, whatever, go play footy or whatever. But you're on it, you're on your Xbox, and you're just talking to your friends, communicating with them. So I think it's more maybe something like bye bye Facebook, you know, come on, you know, some Xbox, Roblox, any anything really on an Xbox you can play um, online with people. You know, Roblox is on Xbox. So I think that kind of stuff. I think going forward. Like as you said, gaming really is going to be the new social. I think you're going to recognise as you know, my generation kind of you know go you know grows up you know to maybe even like just twenty years old in that kind of time. I think you're still going to be communicating over Xbox quite a lot. It's kind of a new, it's a new kind of thing in in general, but it's more, more way more popular. A lot more people actually using it as that communication method. And now you know, if somebody has a PS4, or PS5, they go get your Xbox. You know. Get this, get that. Let's you know. Let's go get this game so we can play it together. And I think that's kind of yeah. You know, go ba- go get your mum and dad to buy you that sixty quid, sixty pound game. You know, which uh, might not be worth sixty pound. We pay it, so it doesn't matter because that's what it's worth now. That's you know, that's how it works. Somebody pays that amount, that's worth that. Like the Roblox coins, price is ridiculous. People pay it. Roblox coins are worth that. And that's how it works. Yeah. So I. So with gaming, I think you're going to see a lot more people like Facebook, you know. I don't think Mark Zuckerberg can really do much about that. He's such a clever guy. But what's he going to start? The all-new Facebook, the Facebook version of the Xbox, it's not happening. So there's like, I think you're going to see in the next few years, you know, that these gaming plays are really going to take off and stuff like Bay and PaySafe, you know, um, which I'm in. You're going to get so many people interacting more, so many more people um, buying coins on all this. And then you're going to have these prices going up and up and up because more and more people are on this, more and more people spending money. And this is a new kind of social network. So the kind of second social network. So at the start, you had Facebook. Now you've got gaming and maybe something after that. Who knows what's going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. Gaming is I think eventually it's going to be Facebook gaming with something else. I think gaming is not going to last for the next 60 years or something, which people interact. Very well might do. I think it's got a better chance at Facebook than doing that thing when everybody's everybody's on gaming though. I think that's the difference. Not everyone's on Facebook, but everyone's on gaming. People love gaming. Um so I, I say like in a school of about thousand people, eighty percent of them go and play games on Xbox. I think something, you know, all those games, all the Roblox, all this kind of stuff, I think it's absolutely gonna be massive. It's gonna be more and more transaction volume. And, you know, I can't see any of that kind of stuff slowing down. Yeah, and it feels like we have a sneak preview into the future, like yeah. Ready Player One. Like what I see is, okay, we were just chatting with words and text on yeah. Facebook, and that's such a not immersive experience. Now you talk. Now you, you, know, talk. Now you talk, and, and your like digital avatar yeah. is in this world with your friend's digital avatar, and you've created this virtual world in which to hang out in. And so what I see yeah. the the future of all it's like VR. You know, like Facebook's tried to have something called rooms where you just hung out with your friend in this virtual room, but it, like there was no game behind it. So nobody did it. I, but, I, I only just learned of rooms then. Nobody has rooms. Yeah, nobody has um, it. But like, no, I, no one has it. Why would you download rooms and you can go on Xbox and play with your friends, play a game? And you know, it's like some, as there's some, especially some kids these days, it's like um, all they talk about is games. And that's like the kind of thing which really does show you, you know, so maybe when, you know, uh, maybe back in like your day, you're, I mean, you're, you're more older, you're, more, you're pretty young, like, like that, whatever. but it's like, even now, it's getting a lot more, 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 it's really getting in people, people are always, you know, thinking about games and stuff, telling their friends about brand new games, and, you know, I think more and more games you get, and I think, you know, that's, that's really my bet on PaySafe, and that's, it's, it's going to get more and more, 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 more people games, different games, different games, different games, PaySafe's going to be all in those kind of games, you know, doing the money transfers and all that kind of stuff. So I think in general, you know, pure bets on gaming like Roblox especially, that could be massive in five years. You know, you might see Roblox be able to, you know, double, triple from IPO price, or they might not, but I think, I think you, you know, or it might not, you know, it could be the kind of thing where it doesn't actually happen, you know, a prediction, the prediction. A cooler game comes out, you know, who knows? Cooler game comes out, you know, Roblox and um, goodbye, but I think, so you've got to really see the gaming trends. I mean, you see lots of people say, lots of people in Among Us, for example, came into fashion. They said, this isn't going to be popular for more than a week. 
we've been popular since pandemic begins and out for three years you've got to remember that with among, among us you know it's not high grossing at the moment there's not loads of money you know in the game at the moment it's not really monetized you know it's, it's owned by in a soft and it's their main game but you've got just had the brand new map advert released yesterday because there's maps in among us which you play with your friends the whole concept of a game like among us is you're going into a lobby so you go to a public lobby where you just join random people and you have to go around finishing tasks on a spaceship um but you can get killed by the imposters and the imposters can jump out in different rooms and kill people and then there's like sabotages and then, then every time they release a brand new map i mean as soon as the game came into proper pro um you know popularity after three years um being out you know it's like they were massive it's like you know it's a test of stock chart um the game, the game, the game was like it went. Test the stock chart, um, so yeah, so it really was like because there's a stock chart in that in Netflix for Among Us, but I mean you see it with that. It's like yeah, so you've got the massive peak here and you're going down and stabilise at this area. Release a new map, it goes up loads of them all. I mean the new advert which they released yesterday for the new map is 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 such a cool advert. I mean you've got so many new features for for it. You've got so many cool new kind of designs. Or in that kind of thing, it's going to it's going to it's going to have a massive spike again, stabilise, but it's probably stabilise at a higher point. Because mm -hmm. I mean, after three years, you know, immediately as soon as it became popular, the developers announced Among Us Two. They cancelled Among Us Two, because it's kind of like, well, you might as well just put all your maps onto Among Us One. There's not really any point of creating the two, and all the energy is going into, you know, of the one Among Us. I mean, especially in the I'm always on the European servers because that's the only way you can actually get in a lobby. <laughs> it's so hard to get into an American lobby. You've got to scroll to the bottom and wait for ages for then more people to join because it's just so popular all and all the time. I mean, we had a serious problem when we first had it. It's like um, so many people were timing out for like five minutes and stuff because the game was getting so overloaded. But now I've got this in those peak hours, it's not happening anymore. So, I mean, the servers itself have adapted, I think. I think they just won something like the best multiplayer of the year award. Um, it's like massive. I mean, they, they started a Twitter account the other day. It's run by, I think it's a lady, just a lady who sits down like a computer at the inner sloth um, offices and she just sits there and she just, or she just replies to tweets about Among Us. And then some, and, you know, there's people like, and it's like amazing because um, she tweeted out this like, a tweet for her the other day because it's like Among Us game official two weeks of the, when they had the new Twitter page out. 807,000 followers, you know, um, it's a lot more, something like Among Us, for example, unlike Roblox or any of that kind of stuff, it's a really streamable game, you know, content Wow, creators. that seems like a big component for the, the Twitch I ecosystem. Think, yeah, I think if you ever, if Innisoft ever wins, I would say Innisoft's not something which is going to go to the stock market, it's more of a private, you know, fund, funding kind of thing, you know, angel investors, I know you do a bit of that kind of stuff, so you might be able to, you know, buy stock in in a sloth or whatever as an angel investor but that's the kind of thing where it's not really a stock market kind of thing because if they ever go to the stock market in a sloth it's not going to be um the really the thing the whole brand in a sloth there's loads of games that they have but among us is really the only massive one you know the other ones are like one or two million downloads among us has got 110 100 million 120 million downloads in the course of four months so uh, yeah, I know. So it's really taken off from having one million to a hundred and ten million. I think that's that kind of thing, especially among us in the gaming world. I mean, I can, you know, this kind of game which it started off with the hype where you did. I don't play as much anymore. I I played it. I play it like two times today. You know, the game, and you know, I'm on it every day. It's like among us is the kind of game where sometimes you have like these things where you don't play it for like two weeks, and then you're thinking, and then you think, oh, I might as well just play one game. And you play it for one hour straight, play a mother's game after a mother's game, trying to get the imposter. You're trying to win as imposters like the funnest thing. Um, you know, if you're, especially if you're playing with friends and stuff, it's it's really fun if you're able to get 10 friends together all at one time in the lobby, because then you can try to figure out who the imposter is, and when your friend starts getting a bit, you know, oh, I'm going to talk way more than I usually do in the mother. So you're like, hey, you're the imposter, aren't you? Because you're talking too much. Or if you, or, or if you talk loads, you're always like, Saying, oh, it's probably this person. Oh, this person did this. If you don't say that, then like, well, that was a bit, bit sus now, isn't it? Because he's not, he's not talking as much. Mm -hmm. I think the whole gaming in general is going to be massive. Like that kind of games. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that you know. There's you have um crowdfunding that's like crowdcube and stuff like that. But those games, if they ever went to crowdcube, 
you know, CDARs or any of those big kind of massive crowdfunding apps, you're going to see 100% plus raise in the course of a few hours because that, that you know, among us, Roblox, I think it's going to be absolutely massive in the amount of money which is going to get um, transacted on it, and the amount of revenues are going to carry on going up and up and up and up, especially as you get my generation maybe having kids and whatever, their kids are going to be the exact same. You get some kids easier to say, my son's seven, I'm going to buy an Xbox and teach him how to play games. You know, that's like, it's kind of that mentality for some people. And it's, I think, in, when, you, when we are like 30 or whatever, you're going to see that kind of stuff, I think it's going to be absolutely massive. And if, you, and if you're willing to hold for that kind of a, te a 10 year time horizon for something like Roblox, let's say they just go public at $100, you know, just, just to make it easy, they go public at $100, we get some sort of reasonable valuation by the time it goes public. Well, it's probably kind of crazy. But it's kind of a real valuation compared to something like Snowflake, which Ron Buffett brought at like five five dollars, and he sold at two hundred. And then um, so Ron Buffett's sort of kind of trying to turn into a bit of the banks and that, and uh, because he sold immediately after, because <laughs> he didn't like Snowflake anymore because it was too expensive. But I think if we could get Roblox at some kind of at least a you know a moderate valuation, I think that could be like absolutely brilliant for something like Roblox. And, yeah, I think games would be massive. Wow, that I think you're so on point with that. Awesome insight. And I'm curious to switch gears a little bit. Like, I, I'm really fascinated by your own strategy as a creator. Um, this is something that I'm super curious about. Like, where are you going with this? Like, you have your Twitter, you have your YouTube, uh, like, you're putting out content. Like, tell us what's up with that. Yeah, so my strategy for, for YouTube, Twitter at the moment is I don't think Twitter, so if I'm ever going to make money out, you know, you, social media, it's not, it's not really, it's not really Twitter, it's going to be YouTube. Well, I've got some like, 20,000 you know followers on Twitter or whatever I have I think you've got like 30,000 where I'm always trying to get that traffic onto YouTube and just in the last five like seven just five minutes before I came on here I hit 4,000 subs on YouTube congrats yeah, yeah thank you um and, you know I was trying I, I pushed that in like the last hour I was tweeting on Twitter for everyone to go go subscribe um go subscribe to my YouTube but I think as long as I'm trying to get more and more things to YouTube I mean before I I, I did like Videos, but I mean, my camera quality wasn't great. But now I use um, well, I got a, I think I like, I got a bit more better camera, you know, for my phone and all that. And so I, I'm trying to, you know, now I've got thumbnails and all that kind of stuff. So I'm just trying to grow my YouTube at the moment. I think that's that's kind of the place which I want to be, and it's a lot more connectable than I use Twitter. For like, I mean, if I'm organising an interview like this, I mean. I don't know why, but I absolutely hate emails. I, you know, I don't know. I don't. I don't ever go on emails. It seems really bad. And then sometimes we go in, and I realise I've got some Zoom meeting. I was meant to get back to them about. I got like three emails from them, and it's like it's kind of thing where it's, if anything it can happen. It's like especially with social media and stuff. It's so much easier to all have it in one place than to go through emails and that kind of stuff. I mean, if I can you know message on directly on Twitter to organise something, I'd rather do that you know any day of the week than having to communicate through an email. Um, so I think that kind of stuff, I'm just trying to drive that traffic to um, YouTube. And so, I mean, some people are like, oh, what link do you want me to put in the description of my video? It's always YouTube, you know? YouTube's the kind of thing I want to get that traffic to. And I'm I mean, more, more curious, like, why put out content? Like, why, why, why are you investing your time into, into creating a YouTube presence and a Twitter presence? Originally, I guess that's because my family, family aren't into stocks and shares. Um, I actually got my dad into it recently. It's like, it, uh, yeah, it's like a, a few months ago. It's like, every day, like the first two months or, you know, I, I got my dad into it and, you know, he's like into EV stuff as well. But I mean, I mean, he saw, I got him into Arkhamoto, but he didn't buy loads of it. I was like the crazy Arkhamoto bull. You know, all I, all I talk about is Arkhamoto. I'm like, bye, bye, bye. And my dad, my dad was kind of kicking himself when he sold at like um, 10 and then it went up to 18. So, <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, I'm, I'm a lot more kind of, I mean, kind of, I would say the difference in me and my dad's like, I'm kind of like the analyst guy, but he's sort of like, my my dad's kind of the guy who's like, so, I mean, I none, none of my parents like traded before any of this. My dad, my only past dad's experience was with Richard Branson once, and him and my granddad, he took his company public, and they he went on a road trip across England selling his stock in his company. No uh, way. So, yeah, he went on a, basically a road trip. Richard Branson went on a road trip. He went everywhere, talking about his new stock. Kind of sounds like a pyramid scheme, and it goes around so trying to sell your stock. But after a week of it being on the stock market, it didn't get the gains Richard Branson wanted, so he bought it all back. Um, 
and took it private after a week. Wow. Yeah, a bit questionable that. But um, you know, my dad that so it was like my first time in like 30 years, my dad started re reinvesting a bit more. I mean, I do read sometimes, you know, stuff like I mean, when I was talking to, you know, Ross Gerber and stuff like that, you know, it's like dividend investing. If you're like, if you've got a load of money to invest, you may have, and you're, you know, in retirement, dividend investing is going to be great for you if you want that little income. Just like I was watching, I don't know if you've ever heard of Joseph Carlson. He's got like 100,000 subs, you know, he runs a, yeah, he runs a huge channel, like 123,000 subs. And he's like a kind of a dividend growth investor. You know, he's been investing for one year and he made 60 to 50%, 60%. Because he was buying, you know, the crash and stuff, and he's in really kind of high growth stocks. I mean, his disc was like really good, so like six bucks a month. But I did join the other day. It's like the kind of thing when you find out not just his dividend, the $123,000 dividend portfolio, he's got a 40000 portfolio for the story funds, which is a pure growth portfolio. You know, um, when you're a pitch for that, you get like, you know, the, an extra 40 minute episode a week for that kind of stuff. But I think it's quite interesting if you can buy. If you stuff like Disney, I was thinking, I'm thinking about buying into Disney right now, you know, because valuation of Netflix and Disney are kind of similar, you know, we're at the kind of same railroad, but differences. Disney's got the parks, they've got all that kind of stuff, and then you've got Disney Plus, which I think has potential to catch up to Netflix. I mean, and then do you have Disney Plus? No. No. I'm a big so Netflix then, fan, honestly. I love Netflix. I have Netflix, but the only reason my and uh, me and my sit-down have Disney Plus so we can watch The Mandalorian, which is this really, really, really good series they've got on it. And they issue one episode every week for the for the Mandalorian. I was um you know, I had to go in isolation for two weeks, you know, because of all this coronavirus and that kind of stuff. Um all I did watch was watch Mandalorian every day. Watch some more Mandalorian, watch some more Mandalorian. So eventually every Friday I'm like, um, well, when's the Mandalorian coming out? Because I mean everyone at school. People are just getting it for that kind of stuff. I think it's Disney. After the pandemic, we can get more people, more. We need a lot more content on Disney Plus. We need to have more content. Netflix, they're pumping out the good, bad, or ugly, you know, in a film onto their platform. But they've always got new films out on Netflix. But I think Disney's, that's the main thing Disney needs to get by and get more and more films out created by themselves. And they, I mean, I think so stuff like AMC, for the pandemic, not great company. After the pandemic, not a great company either. Hey, you know, cinemas are now on their cinemas are on their knees. I mean, they will accept any deal from AM, you know, HBO Max, you know, HBO, whatever, they will accept any deal. And now you've got them, HBO Max are going to be adding all their new films onto that for a month and taking off. So obviously people just don't go on there, watch the films and they're not. So then you get that one quarter, which you've got the best ever revenue, you know, forever for AT&T on HBO Max. Next quarter, you just go back to where it was before. The stock price goes from, you know, I don't even know if AT&T stock price ever moves, but it goes from $33 to back to 30 because I know what AT&T stock's like, you know. Um, I think stuff like HBO Max, I think that kind of stuff's going to really kill the cinemas. I don't think, the cinemas won't die, they won't die out completely, you know. There'll always be cinemas around, we always had the cinema, but I think going out, out of this coronavirus pandemic, I mean, here in the UK we had a this is massive high street retailer called Debenhams, for example. They've got a massive storefront where I live on the seafront. Massive storefront, huge shopping centre, but no one's really in it. Before the pandemic, it was really struggling. You know, when we had the pandemic, it was just shop, you know, just we went in, they went into a ministry. Yeah, they went, they didn't, they, luckily they went on the stock, the stock market, so nobody <laughs> lost any money on it. But uh, apart from a guy called Mike Ashley, have you ever heard of them? No. Yeah, Mike Ashley is this massive guy, massive tycoon um, in the retail space. He owns Sports Direct, which is like a massive sports retailer in the United Kingdom. And, you know, he, he decided when all these shops are failing, he's going to buy them up. And then um, he owned 40% of Debenhams before. It's like 30%. And because he went into administration, he had this whole shareholding wiped out. He's always looking for the deals, Mike Ashley. So he put in an offer to buy Debenhams and the administrators are like, we're not going to accept this because we, can, we think we can sell the stock of Debenhams for more than this. We're going to sell the stock and pay back to the, um, you know, the creditors and people that own money. And so now they've announced that Debenhams is going to be shutting down by March. Every shop is going to be shut. 12,000 people are going to lose their jobs. Well, population wow. of 60 million here in the UK. That's quite, quite a lot of people 
and then you've got a Kady group, which is owned by another guy called Sir Philip Reed. And then you get Mike Ashley last minute talks that he's going to buy, try and buy Debenhams again. Because he's a kind of, I know. So he drops out, he drops out, everyone else drops out. JD Sports, the last bidder, drops out. Mike Ashley is like, well, I don't really want to lose all that money I had in my 30% stake. So I think I'm going to, I'm going to buy Debenhams again. So now he's in talks again to buy Debenhams. Because now he thinks the administrators are going to be desperate to buy it because they want to keep the jobs. And then you've got all these other massive retailers, you know, going out of business. I think the one, I mean, I was talking, you know, to when I was on Fox, I was trying to persuade him to buy UK stocks as he was thinking about getting into them. I think, and it's really interesting, so interesting the trends. Because me and my dad were in Bristol up north um, on, on holiday one time. And everything else in Bristol, in the shopping centres, was kind of empty. And it's Primark. So Primark made, is, a, is a clothes retailer here in the UK. They're, they're kind of things that's all made in like Afghanistan, Pakistan, you know, China, really cheap clothes, but for really, really cheap prices. And then you have a queue of 200 people around the block. And then you have pictures all over the UK of people lining up for, hours, for two, up to two hours on end just to get into buy some cheap clothes in Primark. I mean, they walk past it and some two ladies walking past, you know, young ladies and young ladies and they were like, oh, let's go in Primark and the other one goes, it's so busy, and the other one goes, but it's Primark. And it's like, but it's Primark. It's like, whoa, that's that's kind of customer dedication, which you know, want to see for the stuff. I mean, I think it's kind of interesting what it's kind of see. It's not more, I think going forward, it's gonna be a lot more kind of the millennial kind of shops which are gonna survive, like Primark, you know, which you don't have the 80-year-old going into, but you have the 20-year-old. Or, you know, the 14-year-old and their friends who play hide-and-seek in Primark and get kicked out before I went after they bought some Primark clothes. <laughs> but <laughs> I think that's the, kind of, that's the kind of store which you're going to see surviving. I think people are moaning that, or people say, oh, but there should be some online tax and all that. And you've got to, I think, my, I have, you know, my thing, my mum, she kind of thinks there should be kind of an online tax because you know, it's a shame so many retailers going out of business, but is that's the way the world's going, that's where the world's going. The high street retailers have got to find a way or they're going to go bust. I mean, like what Kevin O'Leary was saying the other day on um, the airlines, let the airlines and all the failed businesses go bust, give the money to the employees so they can find a new job in the next 12 months to get, get back on their feet on. I think spending all this money bailing out the airlines, it's like air, air, you know, airline bailout, airline bailout. American airlines are over like 100% in debt, you know, compared to their assets. Like, well, just just let them go bust. If they're gonna go bust, let them. Right? Why is it on the taxpayers to to bail them out? Like it's like it's like your CEOs ran a crappy business, and now like my taxes are going to like bail you out for like what? Like people say, of course, businesses weren't expected for the pandemic. But is it a business? It really is a business's kind of job to you know prepare for any case scenario. I mean, here in the UK, we've got Brexit going on, and you know we've received a few UK government to be going back. You know, back and forth from Brexit, but um, with the EU, but I mean, Emmanuel Macron, who's a you know president of France, he keeps so that all the EU leaders have to agree to this deal for it to be a deal to be signed in the UK, or the UK will leave the EU with no deal Brexit, which means we're now trading on WTO terms with the EU, which you know people say it's bad, people say it's good, whatever it'll be is you know whatever it will be, um, but you know. I mean, I'm not, not too worried about no deal or that kind of stuff personally, but I think then you've got, I think you're going to, so then now you're seeing um, all the other EU leaders agreeing to deals, but then Emmanuel Macron saying, wait a second there, France wants to be able to, you know, because for, you know, for years, you know, us and France have been you know, fighting over fishing rights. So, I mean, the French like to fish in our area of the channel, we like to, you know, fish in their kind of the area. And then Emmanuel Macron wants full rights to be able to fish in our area, so all the French fishermen can come over and then, um, Fire, I think there was like the French boats were ramming our boats in British waters the other day. Fishing boats, I know, kind of crazy, but it's like kind of stuff like if the UK goes into no deal, for example, people say it's going to be really bad, it's going to be really bad for some businesses, you know, it's going to be really going to be a finishing, you know, a chop for some businesses, but I think everything happening in the UK, I mean, the other day I was really considering buying some UK stocks, you know, quite kind of first time they put £100 just into some value stocks, you know. If two stocks of one stock, maybe, just because the UK stock market, unlike your stock, unlike the American stock market, we haven't recovered from this coronavirus. Hmm. We haven't got any EV stocks on the UK stock market. We're like the new, we're not 
you know, if you had a, if it's a playground, you know, the American stock markets are cool kids, you know, going around all these other stock markets are following, they're trying to be cool. Unlike <laughs> the UK, unlike uh, like the American stock market, and then there's the UK stock market going, you know, trying to be, you know, you know, want to be cool kids, you know, trying to get, trying to get some cool stuff on the UK stock market. When you get it, no one buys it. It's like, oh, we're going to the American stock market. When the American stock market gets more friends on the playground. I think, start, yeah, <laughs> that's kind of the way it works. It really is. I think, you know, it depends, you know, it depends what you really want to buy for, like, stuff like the UK stock market and that kind of stuff. I think, you know, potential, like, I think there might be potential buying value stocks in the UK stock market. I don't know what your original question was. But okay. I don't even, I don't either, but I, I but here's my last question. I, this is so fascinating. Um, what, do you have any predictions for us or, or trends to watch or just anything like that, that you think is, you know, fascinating you right now that we should be checking out? Yeah. So pay safe, which I was talking about a minute ago, anything yeah. to do with like gaming, you know, cash exchange, I think that kind of stuff's going to be good. Also EV in general, because I mean, I, I've owned, I own the really speculative socks, you know, to the really, you know, secure socks and EV, I mean, sometimes, and also, um, kind of cannabis and that kind of stuff, I said, there's only one sock I own in that sector, uh, and some, I was talking about the other day on my channel, somebody said, well, make sure you don't, um, take the stuff you invest, and I went, don't worry, I won't, but I think, there's this one sock you guys should look into, it's called Grow Generation, ticker symbol, GRWG, hydroponics, you know, you're, there in the US, you're going to have more and more and more states legalizing that kind of stuff, Grow Generation are the largest hydroponics retailer in the whole of the United States. Hydroponics is a really kind of a new sector. They just brought out their um, main competitor the other day for like $15 million or, what, or $8 million. And now you've got Grow Generation like 30, 40, 50 stores, and then there's competitive of five. So you've got, and then you've got Grow Generation, which just had a massive blowout quarter. Um, so they don't actually sell, you know, the cannabis and products like that. They provide, you know, for all the hydroponics, they provide all that kind of equipment for them. I think something like Grow Generation, you know, you're in such a good position cash-wise, mm -hmm. um, you know, you've got, you know, like 30 million, 40 million dollars in cash, you're going to be able to expand into more and more states. I mean, the stock's up, you know, 667% in a year, but then Tesla's up, you know, you know, whatever Tesla's up, you know, just seems to be going up. And then, I mean, I would say that's, and that, you know, the final stock which I've been buying into is, Neo. So I own. I used to own this stock at sixteen. I made the biggest mistake ever and sold at eighteen. <laughs> I don't know, that was a great decision, I have to say. But um, um, well, I've been buying that Neo recently, and I think the kind of thing is we got to the point now where we've had a peak of like fifty-five on the stock. We're at forty-one now. In the space of around four weeks, the Auto, XP, Neo, uh, who have just basically uh, launched the capital raised like sixty-nine, like sixty million or whatever it's going to be. Tesla, we've all been doing capital raises, taking advantage of them to go that stock price. And I think now, especially something like Neo, which has really gone down. I mean, before we had this cash offering today, which we're down like 8% on, we were actually replicating the Tesla stock chart. Exact same second, whatever Tesla stock did, Neo stock did. You actually put the charts together, there's not hardly any difference in the same charts. I think for something like Neo, which, you know, um, did, I didn't chance, did you ever own Neo stock? Because, you know, you've been at the being at the place where that's where you were No, thinking. I'm so picky with what stocks I buy. And I, I, I buy and hold. Like, I, I don't like, if I'm going to buy it, I'm, gonna, I'm holding for like 10 years. I don't trade yeah. at all. So I've been on the fence watching Neo, but I've never jumped in. Yeah, I think the kind of cool thing about Neo is, you know, you've got a card, it's such a community, I think. You don't have the same community with Tesla. You know, I don't know. Nonsense. I think you do, though. Like, look at how strong the Tesla community is. Owner meetups in every city. You go on t Twitter and say, I got a Tesla. Everybody's like, oh my God, congrats. That's amazing. Yeah, like, yeah, I think at every Tesla event you go to, you feel like family because everyone's like, yo, what's up? So I think that to me, the Tesla community is huge and real. It's not like the Neo community where they have an official community with the house. But in reality, the Tesla community is bigger and stronger than Neo. It just isn't official, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah I mean, on Twitter, you've got all Like, like come to California, dude. And you'll be blown. You'll be like, oh my God, this is like in, in the amount of Teslas, everybody, you like, you know? Yeah, I heard, I heard everyone's moving up from California at the moment. Because of yeah, the I should have said Austin, honestly. That's right. Yeah. Austin, Austin's a place to be with Elon at the moment. <laughs> everyone's moving to Austin from Texas. But I mean, I think the thing with Tesla, especially in China, is the kind of thing where, you know, the Chinese are a lot more the kind of people who like to, you know, meet up certain times, you know, 
they're not really driving around, you know, as a bit of fun. They're kind of Chinese, they like comfort when they drive, but they like meeting people. I think if you wanted, for example, like, you know, some people, you might want to, you know, if you're a budding young you know, guy who wants someone, you know, venture capital. You know, I don't think you're going to get that by buying a Tesla necessarily, but when you're at Neo House, if you go there every single day, you get to know more and more people. You know, that's the kind of thing where, you know, people might, you know, take or take a chance on you in that sense. But I think Neo as a brand, you know, you're going to the Netherlands soon. I don't see the potential for Neo. I mean, it's kind of a lifestyle brand. I, I do describe it as a lifestyle brand, Neo, but I think when you're expanding into Netherlands and stuff, you know, I think Europe's their next big place to go to Neo. I don't think, also, there's not going to be Neo houses everywhere. I think the whole car and the design of Neo, I think, you know, a lot of people in the UK, I don't know, they like driving their own cars. You know, you say that, there's some people like, oh, I love driving my own cars. And you say, some people like just be jealous and have a Tesla. But when you see that on autopilot, and then someone's at the back, well, I think with Neo, I mean, you've got quite an advanced autopilot. I think the one, the one, the one thing about Neo autopilot is that sometimes if you're driving in the middle of the road, you might just lose it, and then it goes beep, beep, you've just got to correct it. It continues back on. But I think the thing with like, you've got so much luxury in the Neo car. You've got something which is sixty thousand dollars. The Teslas are going to undercut them in China. But the problem with Tesla's prices, by the time you've added all your autopilot and all your extras and made it your car, kind of the same price. Tesla's like all around cheaper. And you know, with Tesla with all the uh, with Neo with all the extras that you want, kind of the same the same price. So I think that's kind of really interesting thing about you know Neo to me. Love it. And I, honestly, I just wanted to say thank you so much for, for taking the time to join the show. I'm a, a big fan of what you're doing. And the fact that I think you're going to be, you have such a bright future. Like you're such an original thinker, which is super, super rare. Um, and, I'm, and I'm so excited that you put out all your stuff for free. Like you're putting out content and people can learn and they can follow you. And I'm just so excited and so happy and, and honored that I got to uh, have you on for a podcast. So seriously, I appreciate the time. No, no thanks for coming on. I'm a long time listener to the channel. Yeah, dude. Well, keep it up, bro. I can't wait to follow you. Um, I have, I feel like I have 10 stocks to research that you just told me about right now. So I got to go do my homework. Oh, and, and where can people follow you? Can you let them know, like, I'll put a link to your YouTube channel for sure. Uh, yeah. Young Investor 2 on Twitter. What, where else can people find you? Yeah, so it's mainly on, um, I do have actually a custom YouTube URL now. I got it the other day. So it's actually just, just type in, yeah, yeah. Legendary. So www.youtube.com slash Young Investor. My channel should come come up, but I think you might need to put a youtube.com slash c slash young investor. There's URLs up to me, so I don't know if someone else took you know the normal one, but I think that that's really where you follow me. And you know, the YouTube's as I said, it was the kind of place where I'm trying to drive people to. So if you follow me on Twitter, that's great. But make sure to follow me and subscribe to me on YouTube. Love it. If I could buy one stock and one financial creator, I think it would be you. I'm so <laughs> bullish. I'm buying calls. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, the, yeah. Well, have a have a great night, uh, Zachary. Thank you so much. We'll we'll talk again soon. Yeah. All right. Peace out. Yeah, thanks. See ya. Thanks for inviting me on.